Welcome back to Balling in the Six. This is your game for Orlando Magic against Toronto Raptors preview straight out of London. If you've got a spare hour, you know what you better be listening to. We're going to hit up what went on in game three, preview game four, and also look at what's been going on in the rest of the NBA. Now, there were so many factors to consider in that quite nervy Game 3 win in the end, but we're just going to go through a few. First, we're going to look at Pascal Siakam. We're not going to spend too long because there's been countless words typed about him, but he is the breakout star, not only of this season, but of the actual playoffs itself, and he could put up, he, he could turn out to be one of the best playoff performers for the Toronto Raptors and if you told me a year ago that Siakam would be the guy to bail us out not DeRosa not Lowry and not even Kawhi Siakam you'd probably be called a dreamer because this guy put up 30 points in the last game that's his playoff high and he has been just phenomenal bailing out the Raptors whether it be from behind the rock or driving to the rim or from the free throw line he's been brilliant you know who's also been great next to him? Mark Gasol. That man shut down Vucevic in the first two games. What we saw in game three is the effect when he's not on the floor. Much like Lowry, we're worse off without him when Gasol is not there. Vucevic turned back into his all-star games when Gasol got in foul trouble early in the third quarter. When he's off the court, Vucevic has actually shot 55% from the field compared to 30% when he has the Spaniard guarding him. Gasol can't get into foul trouble in this game. He must continue to shut down who is the Magic's best player. One player we haven't seen, and it's been quite an odd matchup actually, is Fred Van Vliet and Terence Ross. Ross, of course, has been shooting lights out, as I predicted. He is one of the best players on the Magic, and if not the Eastern Conference, he is phenomenal. Whatever you say, his ability to explode in a game and inspire a team and bring something different is invaluable. And, you know, has it's just been shown this playoff series. He shot, again, he, he, he shot plenty of threes on Friday night. And I predict that tonight the magic will look more to him. But it needs to be on Nick Nurse's side. He needs to take Fred Van Vliet off him. Van Vliet hasn't had a great uh, series offensively either, but defensively it's such a matchup. You've got five foot eleven player guarding a very tall shooting small forward. Ross can just shoot over him whenever he likes, like a Duran style kind of finish. So that can't be that can't be good. That can't be good. Another guy we have to look at and who was an absolute hero in Game Three was Kyle Lowry. Now, in a couple of podcasts ago. When Lowry dropped zero points, I was one of the only media pundits out there predicting that he would bounce back and in fact become finals MVP. We saw him bounce back in game two and in game three we again saw him absolutely explode and become one of our best players on the floor. One moment stuck out in particular, it was a rebound. Now an offensive rebound isn't usually that valuable. It's very nice to have the players with the ability to do that. But usually, you're not getting that much value off it. But when Kawhi Leonard 
goes through sickness when he plays 33 minutes 37 33 minutes through sickness doesn't shoot well 5 for 17 in fact and then with the last possession of the game he's supposed to shoot the dagger 99 times out of 100 his mid-ranger there goes in and yet it fell short like a lot of his shots like 12 of his shots that night it fell short and you feared with just a three points difference the magic could go up there swish it up to you know augustine ross fournier the like and then they go and win in overtime but it was my man Kyle Lowry who had the awareness, the veteran experience to grab an offensive rebound. This dude isn't tall. He's a six-foot guard. But he's grabbing the most crucial offensive rebound. That was his fifth game. He also had 12 points and 10 assists. And he is the main playmaker, of course, with Gasol spending so much time off the floor. So going into this game, there's a few questions you need to ask. One is the Magic have proven to be a tougher opponent than many expected. This could be the fact that this is one of their first playoff series in ages and the players are hyped. Or it could just be the fact that they're an excellent team in good form with difficult players. I say difficult in the sense that they're quite unorthodox. It's a very team with a lot of length, team with a lot of intensity and youth. And that's quite difficult to play against as the Raptors have found out. You know, you got the likes of even Jonathan Isaac, who's been an excellent forward, you know, in some, some say in the mold of Siakam, actually. You even have, you know, players like Michael Carter-Williams, who Raptors fans don't get on too well with at this stage. But he's a very aggressive perimeter defender. He uses length, length to really frustrate guards whenever he's on the field. And overall, he's just a very frustrating guy. However, one thing we do need to talk about that has been highlighted is the referees. So, let's listen to this. So far in the series, um, Orlando has taken 67 free throws to 41 for Toronto. <laughs> it's not like Orlando's a high free throw team, by the way. Yeah. The bigger stat, I think, is the fact that in Game 3, the Magic spent 18 minutes in the bonus. It's a little so basically, the second half of the second quarter, second half of the third quarter, and second half of the fourth quarter. And, um, you know, the Raptors obviously were very careful with their wording. My teams have coached have always been among the leaders in free throws attempted. And this year, it hasn't really been that way. It's been strange. You know, you give the Magic credit for they're a very good team at playing through um, and contesting shots without fouling. That's one of the central tenets of their defense. But yeah. it's starting to look kind of ridiculous. I'm not going to lie. That's William Liu of Yahoo Canada Sports, not speaking ex- exclusively to us, but commenting on a wonderful piece. And it, but it's something that's been highlighted by a lot of Canadian media, which is the Raptors simply aren't getting to the line enough, especially when you consider the style of play, consider Kawhi, Lowry, Siakam. All players who love to drive in the paint go up and often get fouled. The Raptors have just not got to that line despite being hacked, despite being, you know, in some cases clearly fouled. And this is actually one of the things that made Game 3 very close. Is that Orlando got seemingly at will, even though they only scored 18 points in the paint in the end. They also spent, as you heard in that video, 18 minutes in the bonus. The Magic now have 67 free throw attempts in this series the Raptors only have 41 
And when you compare the play styles of the two teams, one, of course, is more three-point heavy, more mid-range heavy when you look at the Magic. One's more paint heavy when you look at the Raptors. It is just... some. Sometimes it's a little ridiculous. Let's listen to Pascal Siaka on his view of the officiating. He, as well as Kawhi, was on the end of some questionable calls. That knowing laugh suggests that Siakam knows and the, what the Raptors think of the officiating. We could go into Tony Brothers' history of terrible calls. But it's just, you know, when we go into this next game, we've shown that we're good enough to beat the Magic away from home against a hostile crowd with the referees play, almost playing as a sixth man against Toronto. And that's an invaluable skill because not only puts us up 2-1, of course, going into the fourth game, but also gives a mental edge. This is It shows that the Raptors are a team, despite all the odds being stacked against them, you know, whether it be OG's injury, whether it be terrible officiating, whether it be Kawhi's illness, you can still pull out a win away from home. And that's a very invaluable skill, and that's why the Raptors will pull off the W tonight. Whatever you say, Kawhi says he's getting better. Like James Harden, who we're going to talk about later, he's one of those players who'll have this one-off game and he'll come back with a vengeance. Kawhi, probably going to shoot 70% tonight. Don't hold me on that, but he's going to have a vengeance game. He's going to come out. We've seen Lowry continue his form. Siakam continue his most improved player form. And hopefully we'll see a little more from the bench because that's all we're going to talk about with the Raptors to keep it under 10 minutes. We're going to go into a big wrap of the NBA next on this show. Varal, welcome back to Balling in the Six. We've had some crackers to celebrate the Easter holiday in the last couple of days. It's like Jesus himself has risen, but instead of Jesus, it's Tory Craig. Tory Craig is with uh, the the guy who uh, scored for the Nuggets. Yeah, I mean, I I sent you a very late text last night, I believe, just saying Tory Craig because I was blown away by that man. Not in that is, way. Is he, a... is he like is it like Tory Lane but like his cousin? Yeah, like, I like, mean, instead of having the same last name, they have the same first name. I think that's how it works. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And you you wouldn't believe it with the way he was. You know, while Tory Lane's is hot on the track Tory Craig is hot He's from hot behind the, floor, the perimeter man. hot on the I floor that's right is. 5 of 7 from 3 and he helped his side demolish pop spurs now the spurs at home are such a juggernaut and yet yeah, they, they were convincingly beaten i mean it got so bad that demar derozan actually got ejected for his anger Something what did you he's probably th- never seen in Toronto? I'm not sure. Did he have a? No, he was a, he was like, quite a, he was quite a calm guy in he Toronto. Is, he? he never. I yeah. don't believe he got ejected. For I don't believe he got ejected while he was in Toronto, but I'll need to check that. 
In any sense, we, yeah. we saw Tory Craig, of course, with 18, but we also saw really Jokic coming into his own for the first time this series. What did you think of his performance? I have to say that. I don't have to 100% agree with that. I'm just going, quickly going back actually just to the Nuggets. I think their bench depth was probably highlighted as their biggest strength. So it seems like, again, they're just producing them from somewhere. It's just, again, a factory line. Um, and it is it is nice to see that Although uh, you can maybe, if you want to talk about how you thought Jokic played, but um, I really do think like this team doesn't need to rely on uh, like you know Jokic to win a, this playoff series. Um, yeah, their bench depth is phenomenal, and say with uh, I don't think this year is the year for them. Say if no, definitely not. I mean, comes back next year, I think. And if they do actually manage to attract a free agent this summer, I don't know what their cap space is looking like. But um, yeah, if you want to talk about how you think Jokic plays. Yeah, Jokic really came into his own for the first time. He went 29, 12 and 8. And he put in the kind of performances which saw him in the MVP race in the regular season. But you're right in the sense that you you are right in the sense that the Nuggets are not a one star or two star team. They are literally more than the sum of their parts, including their bench. They're so well-rounded. So we also saw Jamal Murray pick up where he left off. He was hitting some crazy shots, of course, in game three. And again, he just carried on. He dropped 24 and was it was excellent. I think, on a side note, he's actually the best, if we relate it to Toronto, he's one of the best Canadian guards. Oh, sorry. I think he is the best Canadian player in the league right now. Hands down. How dare you speak about Andrew Wiggins like that? Oh, you mean um, Wiggins, who doesn't really want to play basketball and is just looking looking miserable whenever he He plays. should be looking for another profession. Um, yeah, I mean, it's fair enough. Though, my prediction about um, Trey Young, when it came to his longevity in the league, it hasn't aged particularly well. So I don't really want to say anything about Andrew Wiggins, but... No, we shouldn't, we shouldn't say anything, anything because he's not even a playoff player. I think no, I think no, n- no one outside the playoffs, about. with the exception of... You know the legends, the Dirks, the Dwades should be mentioned. So um, yeah, we have from now on, let's strike Wiggins off the record, please. Yeah, absolutely. He doesn't exist. Yeah. So uh, we even saw we saw great performances. Actually, we saw Will Barton finally put in a shift. And as someone who yeah. owned him in fantasy basketball, picked him up in the fifth round and was severely disappointed all season. <laughs> I think Nuggets fans should be very happy because he has been awful. But he maybe he's found his new role off the bench. Whenever he plays with a bench lineup, he's pretty good. So yeah. I hope uh, the Nuggets coach carries on with that. Meanwhile, the Spurs. At one point, uh, so, not this season, but last season, it was really the trifecta of those three cards um, with Mari Harris and Barton. So yeah, if they can reproduce that again, again, that would. But yeah, I think that'll put them in a really good stead. Exactly, and you sort of obviously the depth. We don't need to even go go into more detail on the Spurs yeah. side, though. What Derek White, of course, has been having up and down games, but I think there was a lot of complaints about two players in particular, Lamarcus Aldridge and Rudy Gay. Some Spurs mm. fans were saying that all they're doing is taking lazy mid-range shots, and of course, while also being inefficient, yeah. when you're not on form and when you're not hitting. I mean, Rudy Gay hit two points in 18 minutes. Lamarcus did a little bit better, but he wasn't great uh, uh, efficiency-wise. So. That's maybe something to look forward to, especially when you've got another mid-range shooter like DeMar DeRozan. 
Where's the yeah, where's the where's the perimeter shooting coming from? Where's the points in the paint coming from? Purcell's now, not ready it, yet. Mm, mm. This is very much like a philosophical approach by Pop. So throughout this whole season, it's all been about quality of threes taken as opposed to volume. I think they are the lowest three-point uh, field goal attempt team in the league, and to their benefit and to you know. And, and certainly not to their detriment. They have been very efficient, actually, from three-point, but it's, it's, I wouldn't say that Pop is stuck in his ways, where he's like, yeah, we can somewhat rely on the mid-range a bit. Because I think when, when um, DeMarcus Aldridge first came, there was that slight rift between coach and player because he wasn't utilizing DeMarcus to his strength in terms of, you know, shooting his fadeaways from the mid-range. And that's something that they worked out. Pop realized he needed to utilize that aspect of his game to, like, really bring the best out of him. He wasn't just going to fit in the normal Spurs system. But perhaps he's too rigidly sticking to that now. Um, maybe it's simp- for the simple fact that they their stars aren't very good three-point shooters, but they do have good three-point shooters and the role players, certainly. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I always thought that was a really big hindrance to their team, actually. I didn't think... Uh, we'll see. If in the off-season, if like DeMar, uh, DeMar DeRozan really works on his three-point, because he, I think, has the most potential out of him, uh, DeMarcus Aldridge. I keep calling him DeMarcus, sorry, LaMarcus Aldridge. Yeah, I was wondering who you were talking about. LaMarcus or DeMar? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like DeMar, LaMarcus, DeMarcus, cousin. Then you're yeah. talking about Boogie in the end. and that's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think uh, perhaps he needs like a philosophical uh, change about it over the summer, Pop. But uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. He's the greatest coach of all time, so probably knows what he's doing. Yeah, so this actually might be the only series that actually goes to seven games. Yeah, um, I might not jinx it, but um, another well, one more series that looks to be a sure thing is Rockets against the Jazz. Now, last night the Jazz had an enviable opportunity to take advantage of one of James Harden's worst ever performances. Which we're not we're talking about that 2016 performance, you know, being being the only one that he's probably played playoff game worse in his life. James Harden right, last right. night, he may have no, he may have scored 22 points, but he shot 15% from the field. Yeah, he did. Two from 13. I mean, he got to the free throw line a lot, as he usually does, but he was historically bad from the field. Browser, did you see this game and have the Jazz finally learn to defend him, or was this just, just a poor night for Harden and perhaps maybe his only one throughout this whole playoffs? I, I do apologize. I didn't the game. I saw some of the highlights. You saw. Oh, that's I really fair. wouldn't be able to tell you. I really wouldn't be able to tell you. I can really very briefly comment in game three and say what I did see was I think their biggest issue was not even that they were forcing him right, but they didn't fully commit even to forcing him right to the extent that when you saw the Bucks playing them, you would see Bledsoe so tightly on his left hip that it would be virtually impossible for him to take a step back because he was just there. Um, whereas 
Utah played it slightly differently, where where he wouldn't be whoever's guarding, whether it's Royce O'Neal or Ricky Rubio, they wouldn't be on his hip. They would sort of just be showing him to the right, as opposed to being like you must go right by being directly on his hip. So they were just essentially defending him normally, but taking right. But it meant that he could either still cross over to the left, and the main thing is actually that he still fully had that step back, and he could hit that. I didn't see this game um, in terms of how the defenders hardened, but interestingly, despite how historically bad he was, the Rockets, somehow they were very close the whole game, and Harden did, in fact, he did turn up slightly when it came to the fourth quarter, so that was all very surprising. Nobody I don't know what you call turning up. That two for 13 stat I just gave was just from three. He actually shot three yeah, that was from for three. 20. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you're talking about and who's he turning three up. from... I thought he scored 14 in the fourth quarter. Yeah, mostly from free throws. Well, that that's efficient in its own way, drawing fouls. I mean, yeah, he shot. I actually shot 14 from 16 from the line, which is very efficient. But it just takes the wrong reps. You know, we talked. Uh, I talked earlier in the episode about Kawhi not getting the calls in Game Three against the Magic, and it just takes one ref to not give him that superstar treatment, and his whole game is shut down. And we talk about the Rockets losing because of James Harden. Because, they're, I mean, they're role players. you see him having this kind of performance and the Rockets winning? I could never have seen that. That's what of. I'm saying. That's why it was such an opportunity for the Jazz, who just completely messed up. I mean, even Donovan Mitchell, you look in the box score, he scored 34 points, but he did it off 27 shots. Mm. It was one of the worst 30-plus point games I think we've ever witnessed. It was... Mm. <laughs> It was just so poor, and the Jazz, Jazz as a whole. Wiggins thirty points games, yeah. Oh, as, yeah. I mean, we. I, I thought we'd struck Wiggins' name off oh, the record. Oh, yeah, my bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some figure. But um, um, but no, they were they were they were all. Well, from what I've heard, though, supposedly the Rockets' defense is really tight in the corner. Um, again, I didn't see this game particularly, but it was emphasised that in this game that they started to work things out. But saying that, the uh, Jazz are. Again, we talked about the individual matchups, and it just really didn't seem to favour the Jazz. So uh, maybe it's got something to do with that, but um, I have to honestly see more tape to see whether they're rotating better defensively or whatever, if they have indeed. Mike D'Antoni's finally worked out how to actually play defence, but um, that's, you know, that I think it shows basically that this Rockets team really potentially has a legit- legitimate chance in the next round. Yeah, and um, the Jazz, of course, now dead and buried. This might be one of the last chances we get to talk about them. But yeah, I think I think, so. I think they've been one of the biggest playoff frauds in in the in recent years. I think yeah, yeah. see they they did not deserve. I think even even some teams outside the playoffs deserved it more than the Jazz because they have just been abysmal. But before we get hyped on by the whole of Salt Lake City, let's go <laughs> to let's go to another game which is actually happening right now. And the Clippers against the Warriors, at the time of recording, it's just approaching halftime with 58-52 to the Warriors. Thoughts Mm. on this game? Can the Clippers steal... Well, they're not Clippers. Can they hold this home advantage and make this a competitive series? Can they make this a seven-game series? 
Yeah, that's something that I did say last time. A pretty bold prediction, perhaps, for civilization. But I think, again, I'm going to stick with what I've been saying this whole series. The only thing that's really going to hold them back is their length. Again, they've been... I, I'm not sure, check the stats, but it does it did seem to me that they were being... Oh, re- my God, sorry. Can I just interrupt again. you? I just need to yeah. interrupt you. Kevin Duran has hit one of the most beautiful threes I've ever seen, and he's made it a four-point play as well. He pulled up. Yeah. He pulled up from way outside the line. Gallinari drew the foul from Gallinari and just nailed it. That oh, was mate. ice in his veins, and that is four points up just before half time. That's the Kevin Durant like we like to see. Blood is mammal. He doesn't feel emotion. He's a snake, a literal snake. Yeah, uh, that's really disappointing. Gallinari has had an appalling game, and I say that because he's been forcing it way too much. So he shot. He was going like. Zero from four from the start, and is whereas Steph, so Steph was zero from four as well from the start, but Steph wasn't forcing it. Steph realised he still has you know uh, a focus on the de- the defence is still focusing on him. Garrett Temple was playing phenomenal deny defence on Steph, and so Steph drew that attention, was dumping off to his teammates, whereas Gallo was just completely forcing it, um, being really well defended by Draymond and. Uh, just to say, yeah, Shea Gilders and Clay Thompson both had phenomenal first and early second quarters, which is when I stopped watching. I think Clay is shooting like nine from 11 or something. Uh, Clay so. is now shooting, he's in 27 points, 10 from 14 and five from six from behind the arc. Yeah, uh, he's, he's, he could have one of his like random 50-point games. He gets subbed off. He's, he's one player we haven't actually talked about much this playoffs. No. Um, we've, you know, all the attention's been on uh, Curry, Durant, and uh, Demarcus. So Clay, yeah. Clay, Clay, of course, is going to be huge, and especially if the Warriors end up facing the Rockets, he's going to be huge. His defense, absolutely. his length, his um, his ability there is going to is going to be absolutely huge. It's phenomenal. And, he, he is a potential, very much a potential, not hard and stopper, hard and slower downer. You know. Um, yeah, because that's all he can do to Harden, basically, unless he yeah, plays like last yeah, night. So, yeah, they. Yeah, I think um. Oh, yeah, I, I do see the Clippers definitely being able to potentially take that game, but... Um, they need to, because they're not going to win at the Oracle, and it's going to... No, exactly. They could finish it off. Yeah. It's a must-win for them. Um, any other games uh, you wanted to mention, Canal? No, did you? Did you uh, see any particularly interesting games in the last couple of days before we move on to the next couple? Yeah, so just... Um, I also watched the... Celtics Pacers game today. Uh, uh, sorry. sorry, I'm just gonna. I'm just sorry. I should make a groaning, yeah. a groaning voice whenever you mention Celtics or Pacers. The two most boring teams right now. I, I'm sorry, I'm not capturing your attention. But oh, dull. Sorry, please. No, 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 no. Honestly, the game today was fiery. It wasn't. Okay, it wasn't fiery, but it. It was it was some really good defensive basketball, and I don't know what exactly Gordon Hayward went, but he's really starting to find his groove. One of the big aspects of Gordon's game, like before the injury, was he was so smooth at say pump facing it and driving it and being aggressive with one when he got the ball on the three point uh, line. It wasn't just. Uh, 
as Dad said, that yeah, he's going to shoot that three. He, he was so good with the pump fake and driving. And in that game, he's more aggressive than I've seen him since, again, he came back from the injury. He had such a good game. Well, yeah, he did. He, um, um, he dropped 20 on seven from nine shooting, and he was perfect yeah. from behind the arc. Yeah, exactly. Um, he, but it wasn't just from behind the arc. He was just more aggressive. And, yeah, this, that Celtic team was really starting to click. Marcus Morris play, playing very well. 18, Henry, dropped yeah, 18 today. Contribution. Um, once, if Marcus Smart is uh, coming back this playoffs, I think he may be coming back in the... Uh, Second for the second round series against Milwaukee, that's going to be something to look forward to. Potentially, we could talk about that. The yes, of course we can Bucks because the the Bucks, of course, have just about swept. Well, they're three nil up and they're just about to complete a full sweep. Yeah, so they're basically a very poor Detroit team. Through. Yeah, definitely. So um, we'll discuss <laughs> it more in the second round preview episode we're going to do. But on first right, impressions, right. with this Celtics team stepping their game up, you know, unexpectedly, I'm not sure either of us. I thought either of us. I'm not sure either of us expected them uh, to be this good. Uh, I know it's only the well, Pacers, but they sweep the Pacers. No, of course not. That's not. It's not. Right. A, it's not a mean feat. However, and and one one reason the Pacers are playing poorly is because the Celtics are forcing them to. You know, it's not. It's not yeah, these no, two terrible teams. The good. Celtics were a very grindy team this year. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw that when Kyrie was injured last season, the start of the year, when they went on, they went like 20 and 2 without Kyrie, and they were just so scrappy. And there were so many games where they came back to win. And it's just, I think they're slowly getting that sort of that toughness. That it's like a mentality that they have. I think they're slowly getting that back to them. So who's going to stop Giannis in the second round? Um, if I don't know what the going rate for assassins are um, in Massachusetts, but uh, you've got to be looking at 150k bullets, probably. You don't have to kill him. You can maybe go through like his right shoulder or something. Um, aside from personal injury, uh, <laughs> who do you think on that team... I don't think anyone has the length, really, and the athleticism to stop him. No, I mean, it'll be very difficult. Those who do have the length, uh, you know, Al Horford, Marcus Morris, them types, who are good defenders, they just don't have the athleticism and speed no. to deal with him. And I, I think, think they're going to have to double-team him every time, and then that's going to open the three-point shooting up. So, again, that uh, matchup could basically be based on, is that Milwaukee team, which has been shooting so well from three, are they just going to carry on shooting well from three. And, of course, when it comes to playoffs, um, when you have a team more orientated around shooting, which the box are, even though, of course, Giannis is the star there, they are a team that relies on the inside game with Giannis there and the outside game with the other shooters around him. They just basically need to be consistent, I think. And, yeah, probably should see them through. But, again, when, if Marcus Smart does come back, that also does... Um, change the fact that, like, changes everything because he's one of those players who's capable of um, throwing a body in the lane and he's so nimble that he he's able to actually still close out on three-point shooters. So, yeah, no real Yanis stopper. It's just other well, guys. What, the, what the formula for stopping these one-star teams is and what the Raptors did do a couple of years ago to an admittedly weaker Bucks team but also a Bucks team with Yanis and some good shooters is you've right. got two options. You can either 
go one on one, single man to man, and just let Giannis have a forty, fifty point game, yeah. and hope you know hope you can score more than one hundred and ten, one hundred and twenty yourself, or you can do what you said and actually try and stop Giannis, and then hope the likes of maybe Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton won't aren't so hot from three. So of course they're both quite risky tactics, but when you don't have a pure Giannis stopper, and we saw maybe with the Raptors, for example, last year against LeBron, they actually tried both, stopping LeBron and yeah. stopping the shooters. But it just happened whenever you try, you stop the shooters, LeBron would go mental and drop 50. Whenever you right. tried to stop LeBron, uh, the likes of, you know, you had J.R. Smith and Carl Corver shooting out their mind. So yeah, they're two very risky happen. options. But of course, we'll preview that a little more in our upcoming episodes. One game yeah. that I do want to preview is two, well, two in particular. One, game five between the 76ers and the Nets. We saw, yeah. of course, a very feisty, a very close game four, and the Nets could have taken it, could have made it 2-2. They should have. They really should have taken that game. Exactly, but in my opinion. so do you think they could win in Philadelphia? Yeah, I was really deflated after that last one. Like, Again, seeing Dudley, so Dudley stuck up for his teammate. He had a nice push on Embiid. Just Dudley actually had, he, he did something very clever there, of course, because, and I believe Chris Smoove brought this up. He got himself and Jimmy Butler ejected. Of course, yeah. I mean, one, what, I mean, that's a great little thing to do. Get, you you'll know, take it. You'll, frankly, you'll take it. I think, I think the Nets will be very happy with that swap. Yeah. So he, he um, did that, unfortunately. So, so why did why did this game slip out of the Nets' hands in the end? Philly, of course, dropped uh, 27 in the last quarter and held Brooklyn to just 17. Oh yeah, no, that fourth quarter, I just even like the last play, so they missed. I think it was. It's a really interesting tactic by Brooklyn because they take so many three pointers, and because of that, when they miss those three pointers, those rebounds actually go quite far outside of the paint, which worked out quite well for them because. Of course, they really like their small ball lineup, and they even when uh, Jared Allen's on the floor, they are a very short team, not a very good rebounding team. But even uh, so, like in the last play, I can't remember who shot the three. They missed it, and it was just a rebound that they really should have made. But again, it was just slight excess, I guess, of length on the center sixes end. They've also worked out um, the Sixers that you, they've given their ball to Embiid more. He had a really good game three Embiid, and I think he had also had a pretty dominant game four. They realised there's literally nobody on that roster who's even close to being able to handle him. No, it's so, phenomenal. I think um, they might have got they might have got Rihanna in, just drop him a text and uh, okay. a bit of motivation. Uh, instead of being like, oh, I'll go out with you when you're an all-star, she was like, I'll go out with you when you're a finals MVP. So, yeah, I mean, she keeps, she keeps pushing the bar a bit higher every time until, I guess until Embiid becomes better than Jordan and LeBron, she she just won't yeah. go out. And then by that time, you know, he'll be about, he'll be in his late 30s anyway. So, Rihanna's really playing a Yeah, she knows what she's here. doing. Maybe she she's really doing what's best for him. Like she just wants him to become the best player he, he can be. I personally think she's on the payroll. She's on the payroll of Philadelphia, to be honest. Yeah, no, this is a hard. This, it's because she loves him so much that that's why she can't actually pursue that love. You know, it's it, it's potentially it's that deep. 
that that's uh, small than fair. Well, another so huge, huge fixture, and I think one that could decide the series is the Blazers against the Thunder. Game five. Game four, sorry. Um, Game so four that's tonight. It's going to be a brilliant, brilliant fixture. I, I wish they wait. mic'd up Lillard and Westbrook because they were trash talking and we just couldn't hear what they were saying. I'm very jealous. Wait, that was the time for a courtside seat. Wait, do you know people like, so the whole, like, on the bench, they had their towels and they were doing Ross's baby celebration. I thought maybe Ross has got had another kid, but... They're essentially mocking Lillard because they're like, you're a baby because of your size. And, and you don't want to mock else. Lillard. I mean, he will, an angry Lillard will just drop 40, 40 on you. And once an think angry about Lillard will throw his toys out of the pram and throw his tantrum and I, whatever. You might, you can mock him for his six foot, uh, six foot one height or whatever. But when you're 2 0 down, I, they were doing it like during the third, four, like, third quarter. I was like, this is probably not the best strategy, and Lillard went off for like 25 points as well in that quarter. Yeah, expect to see, well, it's 2.30, unfortunately, for us, isn't it? So, I don't know if you're staying up for that. I certainly can't. But, Definitely um, not. Yeah, whoever is able to watch that live, like... Uh, you're, a lo- you're a lucky fellow. You're living, yeah, living in this age of Dame against Westbrook. Yeah. Something I never really thought I'd say, but um, also that's, yeah, uh, Westbrook was a he had a phenomenal shooting night as well, and which is not I common for him. We must remember. That. Yeah. So, first impressions. I'm thinking I'm 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 thinking Portland take it for sure. I think no, game I, three was a little bit of a blip, and I think Portland take it. I, although Paul George played very well, and there's rumours that his shoulder is getting a lot better very quickly. Oh, is there? Okay, fine. I mean, you could see um, it by his game three performance. Irrespective of that, uh, Russ, you could argue, yeah, um, it was just a one-off. He, 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 when he shoots his, like, I, I call them, like, foggy leg star jump three, where he completely loses his base, and when he's off balance, he does his, like, double pump. And yeah, and he, up... did, he did one, and then he had the cheek to talk trash to Lillard. Uh, and I just, I just really dislike that. Even though I do like Westbrook, that was just poor form. I mean... That goes no, in like maybe one out of one out of every fifty that goes in, and yet yeah, exactly. That's why it's just like, what are you doing? He wants you to take that shot. Yeah, like, I don't. I think he'll be very happy if you do that every time. Exactly, uh, but no, I I expect the Thunder again. They're also another team who are much better on the home court, and I don't know something changed in Russell. I said last time that I didn't like the fact that after Game Two he called himself out, but potentially that. That could have been it. Like that could have fueled the fire not only in him but the rest of the team. So uh, we'll see. But I, I do think the Thunder will take it. Great. Well, that is our last preview, and that is your wrap oh, of the rest of God. the NBA. And we've kept it under 30 minutes. Brilliant. That's an achievement. That's that an is an achievement. achievement. We'll see you in a couple of days. As of course, follow us on Twitter at Balling in the Six. Make sure you subscribe to this and give us five stars on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're building a nice subscriber base, so get in early while you can. You know, we before we go big and bring all the day ones with us. Oh man, yeah. Well, don't just bear in mind. We'll remember who's with us from early on. Like, we will. We've got well, actually the podcast platforms actually give us your personal data. I'm not sure if yeah, Kamel's been talking about five of you. 
if if any anyone's getting like DMs on the slide. Yeah, I have just... I have all your inst for some reason it only gives me your Instagram feeds and uh, personal <laughs> email addresses. So look forward look forward to some contacts in the future because uh, yeah. we will be bringing you with us <laughs> in a very non creepy uh, on way. Note. On that note. On that note, we'll see you next time. Ral, thank you once Please. again for appearing. I appreciate it. Peace, quit.